This episode was first recorded in November 2017, before the launch of Journey to the Savage Planet and before Typhoon Studios was bought out by Google. Alex Hutchinson, what is your favourite game? My favourite game is Exile. Uh, yeah, so I mean, I uh, I was very lucky. I I grew up with a dad who was a bit of a a gadget head. So he had every computer under the sun um, from you know basically the the mid '80s. So we had everything from a K Pro to a strange you know Australian uh, only PC system called a Microbee, um, which had some games on it, mostly sort of monochromatic, strange you know you know rip off titles from from better systems. I didn't know at the time. Um, and then eventually he graduated to buying me a, a, a Nintendo uh, Entertainment System, an NES, back in the day. And that was the first exposure to, I think, sort of really good games. Um, and from there, it, was, it, just, it just exploded. But my probably, well, my favorite system is the, is the Amiga 500. So I spent, you know, thousands of hours, you know, on my, on my glorious Amiga, which um, if anyone is listening from America, they probably have no idea what it is. But the European and Australian contingents uh, will remember. What what was what game can you remember like you were having the time of your life with with the Amiga and was like besides Exile? No, well, I mean there's there's just so many. I mean Sim City on on the Amiga was fantastic. Uh, Civilization Two on the Amiga was fantastic. All the Bitmap Brothers stuff. Um, some of them were you know more graphics than than content, but God's uh, uh, Chaos Engine were brilliant. Um, sensible Software were amazing. So uh, you know Sensible Soccer, Cannon Fodder. Um, you know, some of the early Molyneux stuff was was great. So you know, Populous and Powermonger were terrific. There's just so so many titles um, on that system that, at least for me, were were brand new. Not only you know video games, but sometimes even entire genres. That uh, it was a, it was a seminal system. Mm. You mentioned the early Molyneux stuff. What about um, Syndicate as well? Uh, Syndicate's terrific. I really like Syndicate. In fact, uh, there's there's uh, uh, Tokyo Forty Two. I don't know if you've played it recently. It just came out, which has a lot of the DNA of that early early Syndicate sort of top down gameplay. But yeah, it was really really cool little game. Yeah, I've I I know it's out there. I still yet to play. It, to be honest, I have actually quite a lot of games through this year. I still yet to need to play, and I'm locking down my goodie list today. Once Life is Strange comes out. Oh, there you go. I really enjoyed the first one. I haven't played the prequel. Ah, prequel's very good. Surprisingly good, um, considering uh, the, the question that there was any need for a prequel. But you know what? It, it's actually justified its existence. I really enjoyed um, the prequel. It's really good. Okay. Nice. Uh, there you go. There's something new for you to sort out now for the end of the year. Um, I was going to say as well, what, um, what about... The Syndicate shooter from Starbeast a few years ago. How did you find that? Uh, I think, you know, I, I never understand sometimes the business approach to licenses. You know, if it's a, if it's a, a title with a, with a strong following, then you would think that it's worth keeping to the DNA that brought it that strong following. Um, and if it's a title that doesn't have a strong following, why do you want to glue the name of a dead franchise to your new game? So I don't really get the idea of turning a you know, top-down, isometric, you know, mouse-based shooter into 
a first person shooter in an industry which is packed with first person shooters. So I didn't I didn't actually look at it. I decided to leave my memories unsullied. Fair enough. <laughs> I, I can totally get that, but I actually really enjoyed Syndicate. It was a really good shooter. I, I really enjoyed it. It wasn't obviously the be all end all like Call of Duty or Battlefield or anything like that there, but like it was really, it was rather enjoyable and I say that as someone who admittedly has not played the older Molyneux Syndicate games, but I really enjoyed it. It was, it was really fun, anyways. Yeah, but that's cool. But I mean, then you, then you would have enjoyed it regardless of what it was called. And it, clearly, you didn't pick it up because it was called Syndicate. So it just seems like a, a sort of a barnacle stuck on the on the side of the of the game. <laughs> All right, that's true. That 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 is admittedly true. So yeah, I could have probably played that game under a different name, and it still would have been a decent show. So I can see your point now. <laughs> um. So from after the Amiga days, like how 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 was your kind of gaming perspective after? After that one, well, I took a, I took a little bit of a break after the Amiga, and you know was was deep in the guts of university uh, back in Australia. So didn't play much until the PlayStation One came out, and then then it's just basically been a steady stream. So it was PlayStation One, Nintendo sixty four, and then pretty much every system um, since then uh, to to some degree. Um, probably you know spent a lot of time with my Dreamcast back in back in the day, uh, and recently it's been you know Xbox 360, Xbox One for me. So yeah, I've I've trolled across most systems over the years. What what were the first games you were playing when you came back in the gaming again, like with the PS One Dreamcast? Ah, uh, the PS One. The thing that pulled me back in weirdly uh, was sort of Tekken Three blew me away. I got in a bit before that, but the the stuff that really surprised me resident evil 2 tekken 3 um a lot of the japanese stuff at, at, in those days um we, you know with the the really impressive games both across the the playstation and the the early playstation and the and the dreamcast which is funny because i think you know they've struggled more recently um you know with bigger teams and sort of you know uh, and bigger tiles outside of a few standouts like you know square seems to still be able to to manage and it's become um the best stuff sort of coming out of the west but back when i got really back into games then it was it was all japan all the time what what other japanese games were kind of standing out to you at that time like tekken and no there's tekken big franchises the tekken final fantasies but i mean even they were doing really sort of interesting little stuff like uh you know things coming out of of namco um and konami and that sort of stuff like you know metal gear solid at the time wasn't a little bit you know games like tomba as well were really interesting so they 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 were they were putting out a lot of lot of quality games. So you know, I started out writing for video games. I was in I was in Melbourne, Australia, so it was a long way from any of the big sort of industry hubs of Japan or you know or London or the, or you know California. Um, so I figured it was pretty much impossible to get onto the development teams anywhere. Um, so I was writing articles for magazines. So I did the odd article for um, Edge magazine or you know like uh, various PC gaming magazines back. Mostly in the UK, and then at a certain point, someone sent me uh, a, a link to a to a job advertisement for a game designer, which was amazing because I didn't actually know what the job was, um, and I think it was probably in the earliest days of that even being a job. So, uh, you know, before that, most things were designed by the you know the, the lead engineer essentially, whoever was was coding coding the game. And I was fortunate enough to get given a shot at a very small company uh, called Taurus Games, which was you know, way out of town, an hour and a half on a on a train uh, each way 
um, making uh, sort of Game Boy games for licenses as, as fast as humanly possible. So um, it was a great place to learn, but not a great place to, to, to make great games. Um, so then I was in there, I met some people who ended up going to EA, and they said I really should apply there. Um, and I was lucky enough to get uh, picked up by Maxis um, to come across. At the time, they said they wanted me to work on a console version of SimCity, which I was really, really excited about, um, which managed to get cancelled on the plane while I was in the air. Uh, so, uh, by the time I landed, I had an immediate meeting where they said, you know, do you want to, do you want to go home now? Is that, you know, do you still want the job? Um, which was an interesting question considering I just sold all of my furniture and, you know, broken my lease and, and left the country. But I was like, for sure, whatever you guys need me to do, I'll do. Um, so I ended up working on a bunch of Sims games for a console as a lead designer, uh, and then moving across to be lead designer on Spore. Uh, for a PC um, with Will Wright, which was fantastic. Um, and then over, uh, I took a creative director gig at EA Montreal, where I worked on Army of Two, the 40th day, uh, and then went to Ubisoft, where most recently I was creative director on um, Assassin's Creed 3 and Far Cry 4. Before we move on to your f- um, favourite game, there's actually one thing that I'm kind of curious about about your time at Ubisoft. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you can answer it, but... Um, you mentioned a few years ago that um, you were working on something small scale, um, kind of similar to Child of Light and um, Valiant Hearts. Like, I'm obviously I'm guessing that it was obviously cancelled. But like, have you um, ever revealed what that game was going to be? Uh, I'm not allowed to talk about it just because it actually isn't cancelled at the moment. So oh. like at the end we had a we had a, <laughs> we had a parting of ways. So I've. Uh... Uh, as some people may know, started up a new game studio here in Montreal called Typhoon Studios, um, and we're hard at work on our our first game. But uh, uh, at the end of at the end of my tenure at Ubisoft, we had a uh, uh, a difference of opinion about which direction that game should go in. Um, so as far as I know, it is still being is still being worked on, although in what direction and by whom, I am no, I am not so sure. But it would be a very bizarre experience one day to be able to play a game that you know that myself and a bunch of uh, close friends initiated for for a couple of years and then has taken on a life of its own. But uh, but we will see. Let's talk of uh, your favorite game, Exile, and um, this is going to be a bit of an uh, one one of those games where I am completely clueless. Well, I'm not completely clueless. I've, <laughs> I've done a tiny bit of homework on, so uh, you can give me the elevator pitch on what Exile is. So, like, if 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 I had somehow found an, an Amiga 500 today and I managed to game managed to get the game up and running. Give me an elevator pitch on why I should play Exile and what it is. Yeah, so Exile, Exile is actually originally published on uh, the BBC Micron, Micro uh, and the Acorn Electron um, in 1988 by a little company called Superior Software. Um, and the version that I played, which I think is the sort of audio-visual spectacular version of it, um, was ported to the, to the Amiga 500 you know, in, the, in the early 90s. Um, the two big elements that that really blew me away at the time um it was designed by uh two guys peter irvin and jeremy smith in the days when you could actually name check the people who made video games uh um one is that it's a sort of a early metroidvania so the the game is basically you will land on the the surface of planet on your little spaceship it's a side 
scrolling uh, 2D game. And you can essentially go in any direction from the very, very start. Um, you need to find gear, upgrade your gear, and it will give you access to other, other areas of the map. Um, and you have a basic physics model um, to sort of thrust your little man around. So it has two things um, which fascinate me still to this day and I think still um, are, are the core of why, say, the latest Zelda uh, Breath of the Wild was terrific, which is a sense of freedom and a, and a sense of openness uh, and a core mechanic that's, that's built around physics and player skill that's very elastic um, and, and, and powerful for the, for the player to, to, to play with. So you mentioned that kind of sense of freedom and uh um what like for a game of its time like like exile like how was that like especially considering now it is such a part of the bread and butter aspect of games but back then like it was such a what's the word i'm looking for uh such a not not outside the norm anyways mm. Um, so no, I think it was. It's it, you know, if you if you look back on it, it pops up on a lot of people's best of lists um, periodically. But uh, you know, according to Wikipedia, it wasn't released outside of Europe. Um, I managed to get a copy somehow in Australia, uh, perhaps from the you know the back of various magazines with mail order coupons. But um, it was hugely influential on a amongst a very small group of players. Even though it was eventually released across a lot of systems, from the BBC Micro to the Commodore 64, Mega 500, Atari ST, I think even the CD32 um, had a version very late in the day, in the mid 90s. Hmm. Um, <coughs> what was the kind of what was the difficulties in trying to get new games for your Mega at the time, living in Australia? Uh, it was it was pretty crazy. Like you know, there were a bunch of sort of you know high street shops that would carry bits and pieces. But um, I ended up actually importing a lot from from the UK. So I would, I would uh, you know, grab mum's credit card and, and ring up shops in the UK who would post things out. And then I would camp out by the by the mailbox for, for two months while it came across on, like, oh, God knows what, a steamship or something across from, from, the, from the UK. So uh, it, was, it was a pain in the butt to get some. Um, but, uh, you know, I used to... You know, read read Amiga Power like a like a book every month, um, and and make lists of things that I wanted, and and figure out figure out cunning ways to get them. Yeah, um, I was just going to say as well, like it must have been really expensive as well. Oh, it was hideous. Like yeah, it was at, at that time. I mean, you know, piracy was a huge problem towards the the end of the Amiga, and part of that was uh, you know because the pricing was just just out of whack. Like some sometimes back then it was still you know eighty dollars or ninety dollars for a game in Australia. Um, which is which is crazy considering you know the sort of the the depth and breadth of some of those early, early titles where you know you could pick a game up go home and finish it that evening and it was you know eighty bucks for for a twelve year old at the time was 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 outrageous. Jesus, especially considering the exchange rate as well. That must have been God. Yeah, well, that's what it was. I think it was like you know they were all like twenty five pounds, thirty pounds, and so yeah, at that time that ended up as as eighty bucks. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> and like like you said, they only lasted for like a few hours, anyways. Yeah. So some of them, I mean, some of them were deliberately managing difficulty by by uh, or longevity, I should say, by massive difficulty spikes. But yeah, a lot of them were 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 pretty short, which is why when you found a game like Civilization Two or you know Sim City um, that you could you know replay uh, over and over, these were these were your go to games. You didn't want to you didn't want to spend eighty bucks and be done in three hours. Oh no. <clears throat> Dear, dear, dear. $80 for a three-hour game. Imagine the outrage today. Oh, yeah, there'd be, the internet would explode. Oh, God. 
Hell, if I, <laughs> if I remember correctly, there was a bit of an outrage for the witness being $30, and that was like a 100-hour game or something. I was like, how dare, or something, something like that there. It was the kind of outrage. How, how dare that be $30 for a 100-hour game? Like, yeah, no, it's because I remember I remember Conker's Bad Fur Day on the Nintendo 64 was 120 bucks in Australia. So that was probably that's probably the most I've still to this day the most I've ever spent on a game that was some, you know, weird Japanese import that you couldn't get that I had to hunt down just actually in a store putting down $120. That was pretty crazy. God, that is insane. That, that, that especially like that wasn't a collector's edition as well. That was a standard copy. Yeah, it's a standard copy. The rumor at the time from memory was that it had because it was uh, Nintendo had dropped it and Rare were sort of semi self publishing it that the cart needed more memory actually in it. So the thing was pretty heavy. Remember, it felt like a it felt like a brick. Wow, that's actually really <laughs> surprising considering if, I, if, my, if my memory recalls the cartridge for the N sixty four was not not light, but it was kind of semi light but when you put it like that it's almost like I can just twirl this at someone's window and smash <laughs> all the fun um, all, all the youth there you go um, for all the youth who need brick smashing advice go pick up a conquer, Conquer's Bad Fur Day for, <laughs> for your uh, vandalizing needs um, yep. don't, don't actually do that please don't actually do that I don't want to no don't, just don't do that um we mentioned um, about how you played early Mountain Dew games and stuff like Syndicate, and obviously with Exile, it's a bit of, it is a sci-fi-driven game. Um, did did you have much of a sci-fi obsession at that time? Yeah, I was. I've always been a huge sci-fi fan. I, the, most of my favorite authors were like Philip K. Dick is probably still my my you know my favorite author. Um, and so yeah, I was just trawling through early early Golden Age sci-fi. You know, got really into sort of your William Gibson, your Bruce Sterling, sort of the cyberpunk uh, guys. And so, yeah, like games like Syndicate, which were, you know, you could really feel the, the sort of Gibson-esque influence on those were, were, were super hot at the time. Hmm. Like, like what other kind of games do you think at that time were kind of really pushing sci-fi forward besides Exile Syndicate? Uh, I think Chaos Engine, um, the Bitmap Brothers I mentioned earlier, was, was a really great... It was more like a steampunky sort of universe, but it had it had that sort of sci-fi edge to it, which was which was a really, uh, really great game. Um, there were some 2D shooters back then. I mean, another Bitmap Brothers game, Xenon 2, Mega Blast. That was a, that was a, that was a pretty good one. But uh, it, was, it was a really broad spread of games. Like, I think one of the joys of... It not costing quite as much to develop, you know, games and being able to, you know, get them to market a little bit faster. So you could take um, a few more risks in terms of the type of content you were building. Mm. You know, our, you know, our, our dev cycles these days are, you know, two years to three years on a on a on a big game, and you know, you could knock out a solid game in three to six months back on the Amiga. So you know, you weren't you weren't covering that much or carrying that much risk. You know, your team wasn't as big. Um, so if you had a crazy idea, you could you could push it through. You could go as big as you could with the ambition, but the risk was a lot less minimal than it was then because nowadays you got big budgets, big marketing, stuff like that there. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's still does, but like the difference between spending $100 million on a game and needing to get that, that money back to keep the company alive and, you know, to get their managing, you know, 400 to 700 people on the team. Um, just the scale of, of of risk is so much greater than you know an Amiga game, which could be made by you know four to ten people in in three to six months. 
um, it just you know it's it's just a, a different ball game these days. Just imagine like four to ten people making an Amiga game thirty odd years ago compared to now with a four hundred eight hundred people uh, team making something like. Um, Mass Effect or Assassin's Creed or something like that. There, it's just, it's just mind-boggling how much of philosophy games development has changed even in the past thirty years. Oh yeah, it's 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 incredible, and I think you see it in a lot of those early you know Amiga guys did really really well out of their games, and if they if they had a hit the 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 team you know there's still devs who you know are uh, you know spending money they made in the nineties you know um, and are able to you know maintain. You know, decent lifestyles, but these days, yeah, you, you're, it's much more of a much more of a business on the on the high end. You know, it's a lot more like you know directing a Hollywood movie than it is making an Amiga game these days. Um, you mentioned one of the well, you actually didn't, but there was someone who sprung to mind when you mentioned how there's still some people um, living off money coming in from the nineties, and there was a name that came to mind um, in regards to what you said, and that was, um, and maybe I'm misinterpreting what you said, but uh, I was thinking of um, David Braben uh, of Frontier, mm. and obviously Elite and all that there, and like, whereas Elite was this big spaceship pioneering, like, exploring all sorts, um, Exile, at least from what, I, what I've read of it, and even what I've seen of it on YouTube, feels like a sort of single player esque uh elite sort of yeah, it's inspiration. Got, it's got it's got a little bit of that. I mean it's definitely it's definitely single player. Yeah. <clears throat> which is so for me it was much more immersive and uh you know, it it didn't feel vast. It felt very sort of personalizing, contained. You know, it had a physics model as I mentioned earlier. It it sort of had, you know, fire and you know uh electricity modeled in there so it felt like you know there was a lot going under the uh, going on under the hood which which was really exciting um but yeah never never gained the sort of acclaim that um that that elite did by by any stretch um sad, i mean one of the sad side notes is one of the developers jeremy smith died a few years after it was it was made so it was actually his last game so uh, you know sometimes i wonder you know if it would have would have done a bit better if he sort of continued on that sort of line of work and built on the ideas that he that he had in in, in the game. Spe- like speaking personally, like have you um, how have you played? Have you played um, Elite Dangerous at all recently? I did play a little bit. I goofed around with it. I didn't. I didn't. Uh, I've never been a huge sort of um, space flight sim guy. So I played around with it, and I thought I was super impressed by what they've what they built initially, but also by how they've been managing that that game and growing their audience and, and keeping it alive and building their game out from, you know, a small team making, you know, in the end, a lot of content. So I think they've, they've been doing a really terrific job with it. Mm, I think for me, um, like, I, like, like, like you said, I can definitely appreciate and respect what they did with it. And it, uh, like, like, like you said, I, I, I was goofing around with it as well, but at the same time, it's for an elite uh, newbie, let's say, um, it's very intimidating as well. Mm. Yeah, it's it's a bit like there's some games where you come up. It's hard to balance the the different types of players you might have. Where you know there there are fans of the of the franchise for many many years, and they're 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 accustomed to the terminology and the sort of you know requirements of the gameplay. And then new players will just bounce off the front of it. So it, finding that that way to ease new players in while so still satisfying your your hardcore players is is always a challenge. Mm. Um, like, like that—that's a good point to go on there. Like, talk. Like, what do you think were the challenges in 
trying to get exile across to players like this is something that we can do better or not even better but something that helps us stand apart from elite yeah i think i mean well i think i mean i think exile was a game that that, that didn't tutorialize itself that's just sort of dumped you in it so i'd be willing to bet that you know a big percentage of its players just bounce right off the surface you know that never actually um realize the the sort of hidden depths of the game which is which is a shame but it's also part of the magic of it for me because it's a sense of discovery you know um in a game where whenever you pick up an object or you you know you enter an area and the game immediately tutorializes the solution for you it takes out any ability of you uh for you as a player to solve that problem and to 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 feel like um, you know, you're you're crucial to the solution, and I think you know Exile nailed that feeling. But the cost of it was that it it repelled um, a large percentage of its audience who who didn't want to sit down and spend enough time, as you said, you know, earlier about Elite, um, figuring out the the nuances of the of the various systems. Mm, I think I think on the one hand, you need to find a perfect balance of trying to bring in new players, and at the same time not hold the hand too much like i think like i've I seen the first level on um youtube earlier and then mm-hmm. I, I, I was kind of sort of impressed that okay you can go in immediately but at the other hand i was just thinking where's the tutorial for this thing like it's just going to be players <laughs> i think that's it it's it's um uh it's a, it's a tough question as a developer to answer for yourself about how much work you think a player should do to to uncover the you know the great parts of of your game because if you put too much out there i think you know then you end up in a button tunnel or you know worse a visual novel where you just press x to watch mediocre cutscenes. um but on the flip side you know if it's if it's just this dense web of systems that nobody understands then no one's actually going to enjoy you know the game that you've built so it's a it's a it's an ongoing debate on virtually every game i've ever worked on about how much tutorialization to put in and you know how much hand holding to to put in um and and then just the realization at some point that you have to pick your audience you know that some people are going to not like your game um depending on which decision you make so are you on a giant franchise that spend a lot of money where you're obliged to appeal to you know tens of millions of people or are you you know keeping your budget tight and therefore you can be a bit more obnoxious and say it's okay if you know, a chunk of the mainstream don't like it because I'm trying to really impress, um, you know, the, the, you know, essentially for me at least the 12 year old version of yourself. <laughs> hmm. Like, what what is your perfect philosophy of what a good tutorial could be? Uh, for me, it's sort of like once you pick it up, you should be in a situation where you can, you know, toy around with it and learn the limits of the mechanics. So, um, you know, if you if 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 you fall into a hole, there's a there's a rock in the hole and a button high above your head, um, then you can't really get out until you figure out that you you need to throw the rock at that button, and then you can get out. And then from then you're like, oh, great, I can throw rocks. Buttons react to physics. I have two pieces of information that I can use to move forward. Um, you know, and then if you do it right, then the game, you know, sort of onion layers out again, and then you, you would add buttons, rocks, and, you know, another piece of uh, equipment for the player or another, you know, situation in which you could use that rock. So... Um, if you could do that, I would be I would be super excited. And then, you know, you can even go further and say that once you have the sort of core abilities, maybe you just drop new things which share parts of those uh, abilities, you know, into the player's hands and let them just figure it out freeform. 
Um, but yeah, I think trial and error and letting the player, you know, be the intelligent one instead of the game is the is the way to go. Mm. Um, there was another aspect to my kind of sci-fi obs- obsession question, which I've uh, I nearly forgot to ask. And like, how how did Exile kind of help you with your sci-fi itch, so to speak? How did that kind of satisfy that itch? Um, it sort of for me, it was it was it was. Uh... It was hitting the the urge to just explore an, a new place, you know. I think I think video games or science fiction or you know comic books often share uh, that sort of escapist fantasy of, of you know of a lot of us who are in small towns or you know young and don't have you know any money or freedom at the time. So it's a way to to sort of stretch your legs and and see you know what else could be out there. So it was that idea of you know being somewhere utterly alien, um, and actually being the agent of change, being the person that can, you know, explore that place, figure it out, and and uh, uh, you know, and do it on your own. Which at sort of twelve, thirteen was was a super um, you know powerful fantasy. Mm, that kind of um, super escapism. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Like what what other games that for the time like the Amiga that kind of caught your eye in terms of the kind of exploration that it gave you that kind of open freedom besides Exile that like that got it yeah well I mean the the biggest one for me was more actually uh, uh, was once we went across to sort of Super Nintendo so the same period but sort of um, uh, you know Super Metroid was very much um, that same feeling of you know using your skills. Um, with a better tutorial, which I think is probably, you know, getting back to your earlier question, was one of the big the big deltas. Like, um, you know, Metroid never used physics, so it was much more precise, and you could you could actually uh, learn it and repeat your actions more. So, you know, Exile was a bit more hardcore. It was on a system that wasn't, you know, um, outside of Europe as popular. Um, and, you know, I mean, that franchise is, is still going strong today. Hmm. Um, it's, it's interesting that you mentioned uh, Super Metroid because... Exile is very heavily Metroidvania designed. Like it's yep. it's it's one of the earlier instances of Metroidvania. Um, like how did you find that for its time, anyways? Oh, I thought it was amazing. I you know that 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 again. You know, if you remember that, you know, it wasn't that that much earlier that a, you know that a video game was designed just to take just to take your money. So that you know what I mean. Like the idea of finishing it at all was was a new idea. Um, and then after that, the idea that you could finish it in a non-linear fashion um, was was really eye-opening, you know. Because again, it is one of the the even though your actions in a video game obviously are in, inherently you know linear when you when you you know when you go back through them, the idea that you are continually you know given a choice is is one of its great you know differentiating features between you know any sort of passive media. So the idea that you know you're standing at the start of the game. Hmm. And that you know you can you can turn around like you know one of the great revelations in in early Mario games and go backwards, um, and that the game might reward you for that, or you might find a secret or something you didn't know. Um, for me, was revelatory. Hmm. Um, what what other Metroidvania games could stood out for you? Obviously, Super Metroid, but like what others for the time? Anyways, um, I didn't find many of the, uh, those. Those Castlevania is obviously the other the other big one, but oh, yeah. that was sort of that sort of that sort of came a bit later. Some of the early Castlevanias were. We're pretty, we're pretty linear, but uh, uh, that was that was probably the other, you know, big popular popular one. I think for me, my only kind of Metroidvania experience has been uh, Shadow Complex, so I should really fix that. <laughs> Shadow Complex is a great one. The, um, the other one, Guacamelee, is is actually amazing. You should play that. Yes, um, 
Metroid Samus Returns as well. Do it properly yep. as well. Yep, yep, yep. Have you played Metroid Samus Returns yet? I have not. I have it sitting here in a giant stack of games on my desk. So I have masses of comics, books, games that I that I need to get to. And my my five year old is a large obstacle to getting through my backlog. Oh no! <laughs> I'm I'm very excited because I think in about he's already playing a bit of the Lego the uh, you know the 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 sort of Lego Marvel superhero stuff, and he's he can get that. I think in about two years when I'm allowed to play you know co-op you know decent co-op with him i think then then we'll make some progress very 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 exciting time <laughs> in the meantime just get as much the backlog done now between now and christmas yeah, exactly exactly he's in daycare right now so i'm gonna i, I can i can go finish prey after we get off this guy <laughs> <laughs> fantastic i really sh- no I'm, I'm not touching prey dear god no i'm not it's, it's too scary for me it's scary for me. Bioshock, I can take everything else. Nope. Um, so this is going to seem very short in comparison to the other games, but like, um, what else do you like about Exile that we've not touched upon? Um, there's lots of stuff. I mean, just little stuff like you know the simple combinations of mechanics. Like you know, you can go around. You know, if you explore it, you could find like a, a, a bottle. You know, if you take the bottle, you can use real world logic. So you can you find a stream, you drop the bottle in, the bottle fills with water. And then if you were paying attention, you know, there's there's a, there was, you know, a flame somewhere else that you could then go and drop the bottle filled with water on it and actually put it actually does what you, you would think, you know. Um, and so I'm a big fan of, uh, you know, we talked about tutorialization before. Um, we haven't talked about interface, but mm. usually, you know, interface is something you put in when your game doesn't make sense. You know, um, in the real world, we don't need, you know. Uh, I don't need guiding lines to see where I'm going to put my hand because it, you know, it all, it all, it all works. But you know, it's 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 logical to me to to, to perform the sequence of actions to get the result that I want. Um, in a game, we put interface in because it's it's illogical. Um, so any game where you can you can actually use real world logic to to dodge interface um, and make a tutorial rewarding and that in that it obeys natural uh, natural logic for me is is super super exciting. Mm. It's it, I actually the. Just slightly go back. Um, you had mentioned the kind of unique physics aspect of that um, uh, mechanics at the time, and like it does what it says in the tin. You find a bottle of water, you fill it up. Uh, there's a fire on the other side. Pour the water on top of the fire. There you go. Simple answer. Yep. Obvious answer. Fire goes out. Like that was pretty far out there for its time. I would say. Oh, it was huge. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't see another game that that executed that for you know for years you know after that um so no it was uh it was it's i mean you know that's that these are the things that you remember i find that you know i remember you know emotions and 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 the first time i came across mechanics and surprise in video games uh you know a lot that's these are the things that stick with you not the sort of fact that exile is also you know incredibly fiddly like the physics model is not very robust and you spend a lot of time bouncing off walls and and you know, being kind of a virtual idiot. Um, but the things that stick with me are those, 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 you know, aha moments that that they pioneered. Hmm. Um, what was what was the game after Exile that you first kind of um, discovered those kind of the amazing physics uh, mechanics again? Like the first game that made you go, "Wow, this reminds me a lot of Exile." Gosh, I don't know. Like there, there haven't been, there haven't been too many. I'm just thinking in terms of. I mean, this these days, you know, it's sort of in, embedded in everything. You know, like oh. when we when we made Far Cry, you know, it's the, there's a lot of 
you know, bouncing your car down a cliff to, you know, explode against the bottom and sort of, you know, there's a lot of that sort of stuff that's that's in there by by uh, by definition. Mm. Um, but uh, uh, gosh, back back in those days, um, it probably was flight sims. You mentioned flight sims before, but they were they were some of the games that um, that were really using physics models. So you know, maybe X Wing, you know, X Wing or Tie Fighter back in the day were were super good. Mm. Um, some of the early, you know, Ultima Underworld titles were great. Not so much physics, but that combinatoric sort of nature and the openness um, that that Exile had. I was a big fan of, uh, yeah, Ultima Underworld one and two. Mm. Um, what didn't you like about it? Um, it's 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 kind of the movement is kind of spastic. Like you know, you can see why you know they they love this physics model, but it was it was hard to master. It was uh, I never felt completely comfortable. Um, you know, moving the character around. So sometimes, you know, that moment in a video game where you you fail not because you uh, didn't know what to do, but because this, the 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 game the game felt like it cheated you slightly. So these were these were some of the things that that, that sort of bugged you know bothered me at the time. But um, and probably some of the things that made you know the sort of a mass audience bounce off it as well. Mm. Um, what would you change from a design perspective? I would assume. Two of those things being, like you said, the spat movement and mm-hmm. the fixing the lack of a tutorial. I wouldn't put a tutorial in so much as I would I would have a few little moments that were more encapsulated and would allow you to learn the mechanics just early on, even just for a few of the little ones. Because, you know, at the time, the big learning was that that, that would work. You know, like other, other games, it just none of the things that did work in Exile worked in any game. So it was this amazingly new thing that I don't think people realized because they applied the, you know, sort of their existing thought processes to it and got no results. Um, whereas if you saw someone else play it, like if you had a friend at school or, you know, something who would say, you know, oh, no, 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 do this and this and give you the sort of initial, you know, entry into it, um, you had, you know, an infinitely better experience with the game. So just some little structured moments early on um, to give players uh, an inroad into the complex systems, I think would would help a lot. Mm. Um, it's a bit weird to ask you top free exile games because I don't think there's been free exile games. So uh, let's say top free Amiga games. Obviously, exile at the top, but how how would you rank two and three? Oh gosh, it's it's super hard. These questions are always incredibly difficult to answer because I you know there's so many so many. Uh, so many that I like. I don't know. I think uh, we could go with favorites because best is best is so um, so difficult to answer. Um, the ones that had the biggest impact on me, even though weirdly I hate sports games, I will put um, Sensible Soccer up there as as one as one game that I had a <clears throat> a huge amount of fun with. Um, and then probably just for yeah, I go with Chaos Engine as another one as the the, the two big ones that I loved. Mm. I was going to say as well, like. You weren't. You said you weren't a big uh, sports fan or sports game fan at the time. Were you a big sports fan at the time? Um, it's funny. The not not a huge one. I I love Australian rules football. Um, when I left Australia, one of the reasons I didn't watch for a long time uh, was because it's the sport only played, you know, in Australia. Um, it's very parochial and very sort of, you know, has kind of a small town vibe to it. And ironically, that's the reason I love it now. <clears throat> that it's not one of these mega sports that you know it's only it is only played by by one country. So I watch a lot of that. I still like a bit of the cricket, hmm. um, but yeah, apart from that, yeah, not so much. Ah, so basically the fact that it's so parochial, like Becky said, it just helps that kind of 
maybe homesick feeling. Yeah, well, it's just and it's like it's nicely small town, you know what I mean? Like it's 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 therefore relatively free of sort of all the dodginess of you know international sport. Um, in that sort of there's no there's no point to it. So uh, uh, yeah, I do I do like the the, the small town nature of it. Hmm. And then you've got the international series as well, Ireland. Yes, which was always fun. Those are actually a really good couple of games um, this year. Did you watch them? I've I've not seen them yet. No, they were actually fun. They were actually they were the the last game especially was particularly tight. There's always there's always a strange level of feeling in it for a sport that no one ever plays. You know, <laughs> so once every two years they get up. There's always a, a bit of a a bit of uh, a bit of uh, yeah, a bit of biffo in it. Honorable <laughs> <laughs> mentions, go for it. Um, so there's so many. Like we got doing. Um, so we mentioned before. Uh, I think just. Sensible so- soccer for its ability to capture the essence of a sport that I otherwise wouldn't like, and uh, give you enough screen real estate to get the the, the you know the joy of passing and setting up a shot. Um, Sim City for the the sort of simulated universe that's invisible under the hood um, in that game that gave me the feeling that it was alive, um, kind of like you know goofing around with a petri dish. Um, what else? Uh, Zelda Ocarina of Time just for. You know, creating a world and an openness and a sense of exploration, which I hadn't had until that to that point. Um, same same vibe, sort of Super Mario sixty four for uh, just rewarding everything. You know, like everything that you did that you you thought would be difficult, if you managed to do it, they'd figured it out before you and put a reward there, which was which was truly terrific. Um, Ultima Underworld for uh, being a super immersive you know role playing game that again seemed to have you know its its own set of you know world rules that it didn't break that let you you sort of play around with it. Um, what else? Civilization, the whole franchise, just for its sort of Moorish nature. That idea that you're always you know one move away from you know building something, uh, you know attacking someone or you know receiving you know an interesting problem to solve. So you just you just can't put it down. Uh, what else? There must be more. I'm surrounded by games. I'm sitting in my office. There's so many. Um, recently, uh, actually, I'll give, an, I'll give a shout-out to a game that just blew me away recently. Um, Divinity Original Sin. Um, for being, you know, an isometric RPG that uh, was completely finished, which I which sounds like an odd thing to say, but, you know, it, it, it was a brilliant story. It was an open world. You can... You can, you know, kill or save whoever you want. You can complete most uh, objectives in a, in a in myriad ways. There's, it, yeah, just a completely brilliant game. I was super impressed by that one. Um, you mentioned Ocarina of Time and uh, Super Mario 64. Um, it'd be mm-hmm. a mess for me if I didn't uh, talk about or didn't ask about Breath of the Wild and Super Mario Odyssey. Like, you mentioned Breath of the Wild earlier, but, like, yeah, how did you find those games? Yeah, um, I just actually just got off a, a long plane flight, and I played Mario the whole way, and it's the first Mario since probably Sunshine that I really actually loved. Um, and I think yeah, it's just a, just a terrific game. It gives me back that sense of exploration that Mario 64 and Mario Sunshine had that sort of Galaxy and other recent sort of new Super Mario Brothers had lost, in my opinion. Um... Breath of the Wild, I can't crack. I'll, I'll say it. It's I feel I feel great shame. Um, I'm I'm the guy that owns every you know every Zelda in a box ever made. I have all the sort of you know 
Game Boy, uh, whether they're DS or DSi, you know, Zelda Special Editions. And yeah, Breath of the Wild at the moment, I just can't get into. Um, I've got to sit down and give it give it another shot. But I found I found it kind of um, rough around the edges compared to all the other Zeldas, which is interesting. I found that, you know, I, when I was solving a problem, sometimes I thought I was cheesing it instead of being smart about it. I ended up stuck in situations where it felt like I was supposed to have understood a mechanic that I hadn't even come across yet um, and 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 I couldn't get out of. I got out of one area because I realized I could load up you know, charges to launch myself, but I only knew because of a tip in a load screen after I died three times, and that felt sort of arbitrary. So, yeah, I struggled a bit with the, with the new Zelda, but everyone whose opinion I respect loves it, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to go back in and, and play again. Ah, no, fair enough. Um, no, I, I mean, like, as someone who's gone into it with, like, I don't know, like, minus 10 hours or so with combined Zelda games, um, <laughs> I love that. I love that. It's not. It's actually not my game of the year, to be honest. Yet, even What's your game of the year? Nier Automata. Nier Automata? Nier Automata. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is a bit weird, they kind of put it like that, but it is... It is phenomenal. I love that. I love. I love it so much. But um, Breath of the Wild is incredible. Um, but yeah, I want to touch upon something that you said from Mario as well because that's interesting. Because you said it's the first Mario game since Sunshine that you kind of really clicked with. That's really interesting yep. because there's a. I don't know if I would say a lot of hate for Sunshine, but at the same time, um, Sunshine's not looked upon very fondly. Let's say. Yeah, I know, and that always that always blew me away. I loved Sunshine. I thought it was really terrific. I thought that. The, the sort of new big mechanic that they built this that one around, which was, you know, sort of the water gun, you know, the new ones built around sort of like the, the, the hat that possesses creatures. I thought it was terrific. I actually never understood where the, where the hate came from um, in that franchise. But, uh, yeah, I actually, I was, it was the opposite for me. I felt Galaxy was very constrained and, and small and, and vaguely linear, and I didn't, I, I didn't like it anywhere near as much. Hmm. That's, that's, and the fact that, I'm guessing that's why you like Mario Odyssey so much, because, like, it is a game that harkens back to the Sunshine era of, um, uh, free, free, 3D kind of platform and Mario magic at, at its core. Yeah, and you just, like, you can, you are actually, like, you know, I mean, for me, I guess one of the core elements that'll make me love a game versus, you know, become bored by it, and this is why I will go back and try uh, Breath of the Wild again, is, is the idea that I am the agent of change and that I, as the player, um, uh, am free to you know to pick my direction of exploration and then the tools that I'm going to use. And so, yeah, this, the idea that I start a level and I can run off in any direction for me is is one of the joys of video games. So um, Odyssey definitely has that in spades. Top three games ever, what would they be? Obviously, uh, uh, I was going to say Exile at the top. But how would you rank two and three? Like, how would you rate them? Gosh, it's so hard. It just whatever I say, I feel that I will be <clears throat> like if I if I say modern games because you know realistically most of them, even though Exile is terrific, if we were to say best game, it wouldn't be. It would, it would you be, know, the metric for this top three would be favorite games. I I say yeah. best would be more a kind of kind of broad stroke of sorts. Okay. Yep. All right. So like favorite, I would say Exile. Uh, Ultima 7, The Black Gate, um, which made me buy a PC for the first time and put my Amiga under the bed, the shame. Um, what would be number three? I probably would have to say Zelda Ocarina of Time. Mm. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
Fair, there you go. Fair enough. And I've, in, I've, I've insulted so many games now. Oh, God, no. You, you, <laughs> you will have to go into hiding now. Especially now that we found out the game that was the game that kind of put away your Amiga once and for all. Yep, yep. Well, Richard Garriott, he's a, he's a fascinating, uh, fascinating, fascinating character. He also owns several castles. <laughs> oh, the doggo's going off. <laughs> oh, hang on. No, no, no. I'm, get, I'm getting I'm getting a package. We just started our own company, Typhoon Studios, earlier this year, so Hopefully, we'll be able to announce something at this year's E3, so keep your eyes open for that. Um, and if you would like to uh, hear any of my random rantings and ramblings, you can follow me uh, on Twitter at BangBangClick, um, and I'll be putting things there when I'm allowed to put things there. <laughs> Almost like uh, kind of sniper just c- kind of aiming a gun at you, just say, don't put this there until I... <laughs> just leave I'll just leave it there and then turn off the computer Thanks for listening to My Favourite Game, a podcast on PlayDiaries.com where people in the games industry talk of their favourite game. If you want to listen to future episodes of My Favourite Game or other PlayDiaries podcasts, press play early, you can join our $4 tier on Patreon at patreon.com slash playdiaries. Next up, Nels Anderson on Thief. Until then, thanks for listening. Bye bye.